Today's show wouldn't have been possible actually without um, Andrew Swain from Metal Tech. Uh, he sponsored a uh, British cycling team back in the day. Um, he's not only a sound guy, he owns Metal Tech Engineering Solutions Limited. It's a CNC machinery company in Melton Mowbray, specialising in manufacturing components for a variety of industries, including healthcare and automation, food production, and industrial assembly. Andrew, thank you for uh, helping out today. Uh, you know, I haven't worked for a while now, so um, <laughs> uh, it's helped out a bit. And uh, Living Care Group, as, al- as always, for making sure that this this show is going on. Also, some good news that I've done a T-shirt collaboration with Pariah, which are a Yorkshire-based cycling company that are pretty big. And um, Sam's doing some really great work there, so we've teamed up. And the T-shirts... The Yorkshire Grit T-shirts should be going on sale on Monday or Tuesday, and that's on the Pariah website. Mm. So thank you, and I really hope you look forward to today's podcast. It is absolutely without shadow. Um, it's yeah, it, you're you're in for a treat. Thank you. All. Glory, then. Mine must be the shame. Sorry, guys, I had to deal with that. That is, uh, that's Leonard Cohen, You Want It Darker. And do you know what? I, I, I saw it on this TV programme and I thought, that just, for some reason, I just thought of you. And I thought, I've got to get that on for like the new jingle or whatever. Absolutely, Probably. man. <laughs> um, right, this is episode, hang on, episode four. Fantastic, man. Of series two. Thank you very much for coming. Pleasure, pleasure. Uh, and you've also brought me a goodie bag of stuff, which is very kind of you. Sorry about the Selvages bag, mate. I, uh... I know. <laughs> when you got off at the car park there, I was like, get in. <laughs> <laughs> car. So this is all your... Anyway, we'll, we'll get into it. Yes, mate, yeah. So you're... Well, I always say to people, who are you? And, you know, what you are. And it's kind of a... Um, a leading question, really. But for yourself, obviously, a large part of your life was the Royal Marines commando. Yeah. People may have seen the adverts. Uh, it's a state of mind. Sure. Um, I don't, do you know what? I actually don't really know where to start today uh, because it, it's kind of so difficult and I've been really pumped up for this today. Um, had a bit of a shit week. Uh, I've kind of come through it a bit. feel quite angry this week, but I've, I feel very... Um, yeah, today I've just been really excited. Nice one, mate. Yeah, me too, me too. So, Fred, in the booth, put your seatbelt on. Listeners, get your passport, uh, because today, no matter what you're doing, I think today this is really going to inspire people. I think it's going to be really energy-filled. So, one out of 1,000 people, when they walk through a recruiter's door for the Royal Marines, is the that's the success rate, one in 1,000, roughly. <clears throat> yes, mate. Uh, the old stat back in the day was... Uh, it were on the old advert, which is arguably like the, the best advert that there's ever been, really, of the young lad that's running over Woodbury Common yep. uh, doing the endurance course, and he goes under the water tunnel. And it's just like, where do you quit here, here, or here? The young lad comes out of the out of the uh, the tunnel, then the next minute you see him like on a, on a rib, like on, on some kind of like Royal Marines operation. And the stat back then was, I mean, the, the mantra then was 99.9% uh, did not apply. Yes, uh, I remember that. And it had like some mystique behind it and... and, and it really did like capture my attention uh, at the time, and the, the stat was that that it was one in one thousand from the moment that somebody walks in the careers office 
uh, or calls or calls a, uh, a recruiting office up to, to get into the end and get in the Green Beret that were one in 1,000. God, that's quite... Um, does that not just put you off straight away? Yeah, it does bring the element of risk, mate, and like the... Because uh, for me, I suppose it's not chicken or the egg. Fight or flight, right, I'm going to fucking prove you wrong. Or I'm, uh, yeah, it's a bit like that, mate. I mean, absolutely. We, uh, well, I, I just thought I did think it were an impossible task, <clears throat> but it's something that absolutely enticed me in, and that I, I felt like I wanted to kind of prove myself and see where I was on it. Uh, and I never thought, even when I went for it, that I would have the the wherewithal or, or the the kind of I can't to have what it took to to, to get to the end kind of thing to, to do it. I just wanted to get in. And just see what I were capable of doing. You weren't actually thinking about well, if I pass, it's just let's just get in, let's get stuck in, and I'll see how we do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, mate. I mean, prior, I'd absolutely prepared to the nth degree, mate. I stopped drinking, stopped going out. I had like six months of like a beat up of like uh, a preseason that I learnt from Leeds playing rugby, and I absolutely threw myself into that uh, and just prepared to the nth degree, mate. And when I went in, I was so like physically and mentally prepared for it. But I was carrying a few injuries. I'd had a ruptured cruciate ligament that I'd picked up playing rugby that puts you out for ten months, eleven months. Yeah. yeah, but I shouldn't have been able to get in, mate. That was like a complete showstopper on your application. But I didn't say anything. <laughs> I just literally, I got myself so like aesthetically looking good. Yeah. That like when I went to uh, have my medical, I sat there and. Uh, he said, take your clothes off. I took my clothes off and he were like, Oof, like, I don't think we've got a problem here, my boy. Something like that. It's in the diary. And uh, he, he'd give me like this, a bit like this tongue-in-cheek assessment of my body and check my knees and stuff like that and never really exposed it and I never said anything and I got through. And I just, my, my thinking was that if I get to a certain point in training, like week 10 or 15, and my knee does go and it yeah. needs reconstructing at least, then they will have seen my character and they'll keep me in rather than discharging me. So, obviously, you know, me wouldn't be a professional cyclist. I wasn't really, but uh, I've found out recently that's to do with power in my head. Sure. Not getting it from a childhood. Mum and dad not really paying much attention. So it's like, oh, look at me. And it's very tangible going over that line. It's very yeah. much winning. Um, the mindset to think, right, I'm going to be a Royal Marine Commando, that's not an average day-to-day -day mindset. So w what in your childhood, talk us through this, you know, you played rugby to a really high standard. If you can take us through Gaz as a kid yeah, to Gaz going through that door to be a Royal Marine, something's happened there. Sure, sure. So I think as a, as a, as a child growing up, mate, uh, and it's only really since I've had my son, who's now getting diagnosed with like ADHD, that I'm able to see some like absolute tangible links between me and him and what people used to say about me back in the day. I had, I had, I was really, I suppose, highly strung, had loads of energy. Uh, I started playing rugby at a really young age. My dad were a strength and conditioning coach at Cast, mm. Cast Tigers. So this is West Yorkshire? Yes, mate, yeah, yeah. And uh, I kind of went through a bit of like this indoctrination really with my dad. He, 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 were, he were quite very intense in terms of my pursuit to be a professional rugby league player. Uh, there were quotes on the wall, there were quotes above the toilet. Uh, I couldn't go anywhere without seeing a quote. It were all kind of this grooming process for me to be absolutely 100% in on 
being a professional rugby league player. And as a result, growing up in school, I uh, I used to write it in diaries like Gareth Timmins, write, write a draw a, a rugby league shirt and put my name on the back of it and yeah. the number that I wanted to be and saying I was going to be best number nine in the world and all this kind of stuff from a very, very young age. And I started getting success in rugby. I played for Yorkshire under 16s and arguably that that was the best time to be in Yorkshire. And then I went to Unslet Hawks, uh, played played some games there for Unslet and then went to Bradford. Uh, Bradford said I wasn't big enough and then I went to Leeds and had a, had a good time at Leeds, but it, it just never, it never really worked out. But unbeknowingly to that, I were in such a, an amazing environment of like performance and elite people. Like I you don't like, realise until you leave. You just don't realise yeah, it. I were like we like I were in an academy with Danny Maguire and like Ryan Bailey and Dwayne Barker and training with first team with Chev and 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 Rob Rob Burrows and, and and all people like that. And you're in this like environment of like just pure success and elitism and, and I can I can I can yeah I get you you only realise that when you're actually fucked <laughs> you do <laughs> mate you do yeah yeah and it's and you know what mate it's it's like it's, it's although I I see the rugby as a failed endeavour and it took me a long time to get over it uh, that prepped me for the Marines that environment absolutely prepped me I knew how to train I knew how what what I needed to do to get in like like elite level conditioning. When you say failed endeavor, are we talking for your dad's eyes or yours? I think more my dad's eyes, mate. So my dad would, you know, like the stereotypical uh, shouting on the touchline. Yeah, depiction that you get of like these American pageant parents that drill the kids into like dancing or these beauty pageants and stuff, and the kids don't really want to do it. That's kind of where I got with rugby. I like had a bit of a love hate relationship with it. I. Uh, I loved being at Unslet. I were a bit of a big fish in a little pond. Uh, and I'm not saying that I didn't like the changing dynamic when I went to Leeds or Bradford, but uh, I, I always kind of I feel like I were like kind of swimming in, in treacle in, in the rugby when I got to like the, the eye level. It was like it wasn't natural. It didn't feel like my path. And so hard to figure out that as well because that's what you only know. That's all I know, mate. And you know what? Because of my dad's influence on my on my upbringing, it's tough. That it were like I'd not invested in school, mm. partly due to the ADHD, but I'd not invested anyway because I was going to be a professional rugby player, and there were no plan B because a plan B meant that in my dad's eyes and my eyes of what he trained me to be was well, there was no plan B. There were no plan B. Plan B meant that you had a weak mentality, <laughs> so it were like. Plan A asked will work, and when it didn't work, oh, I were like, "Fucking hell!" Like this is not in the script. Like, what on earth do I do now? And I had nothing on the table, no investment in any other avenue in terms of where I were going. It was just my world fell apart, mate, and me, me, mine and my dad's relationship suffered. Uh, he were, yeah, it was tough, mate, very tough. And how old were you when this happened? About 18, 19. Yeah. I had a lot to work out then, mate. I had a lot a lot to work out, a lot went wrong. I I was very angry at rugby. Uh the only way I can kind of describe rugby and, and how I fell out of love with it is I'd been in dressing rooms since I was like 13, 14 with professional players, with the blokes. Because my dad wanted to like expose me to that kind of environment. So mm -hmm. I'd been around like We have we you we are cocky, we we you obviously good shape. 18-year-old, 19-year-old lad, fit, rugby, swag. 
girls was you know did when it all came crashing down did you just go off the rails like yeah. everyone does yeah yeah i did mate yeah so i stopped playing rugby and i'd then go out every weekend wakefield doncaster everywhere and fighting all the time like i could not go out without fighting it was just a part of the night mm. and sometimes me and me and a friend would sounds awful to say it now because i'm such a different person but would get on a, a bus or get a taxi to doncaster with the sole purpose of fighting and just saying let's let's find the hardest bunch of blokes that we can and just see where we're at physically with the in terms of how hard we are and that's what we did and and looking back now and i didn't know it at the time that absolutely filled a void yeah uh, in terms of the physicality for the rugby i had i because i'd always had an avenue to get out this aggression suddenly when that stopped with rugby it was like all this pent up aggression that were coming it had to go somewhere and it it got dis obviously dispersed negatively in the street. But you, it keep came with its problems, mate. I mean, I got arrested. I was getting arrested all the time. Uh, I mean, the police were always at the door, mate. You know, it's it it, it seems like a natural progression, maybe, for the Marines. I'm, I'm hearing yeah. this story, and obviously, I, I don't know you that well. I don't know your life, but I'm hearing fit. I'm hearing athletic. I'm hearing tough. I'm hearing mentally tough from a young age. Yeah. So. Was the Marines just was 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 that just natural progression for you? It just had to happen. Yeah. So uh, it had never been on my radar, mate. To be honest, my granddad were an old. Uh, he worked down the pit like an old man's man, yeah. York, Yorkshire man's man. Uh, Charleston. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he was from Fitzwilliam, and you uh, were an ex like boxer. What? Oh, Benny's tough. Yeah, he were tough. He were really tough, mate, and he. Uh, He's a man, isn't he? Yeah, he was a man, mate. He was a man, and I, I always spent a lot of time with my granddad. I was always at my grandma and granddad's, more or less, in a sense, they brought me up, really. And uh, my granddad always used to say, like, you need to go into Royal Marines. And I always used to be like, oh, no, I'm not, like, no. Didn't even give it a second thought. Yeah, yeah. And then I were up one night with, with a good friend. We'd been drinking, and uh, it was when Iraq first kicked off in 2003, 2004. And I watched Sky News, and Sky News had a a, a team out with, with Royal Marines. I think they were in like Shah Arab or Umkazar or somewhere like that, just getting ready to go in. Uh, and it was showing footage of some of them guys, and then some lads that were in Land Rovers looking for Saddam sons. And uh, I said to me, mate, I said that's what I want to do. That's hundred really? percent what I want to do. And it was like just this snap exposure to Sky News. Yeah. The following day, I uh, quickly sobered and went to Career's office, and then the, mate, the rest is history. Literally just on that. So my granddad were absolutely right, but obviously it were two years premature to when I actually went in, and he died shortly after. So he never he never saw what I did. No. I'm hearing about your upbringing. It almost seems like the perfect storm. It does, mate. It, it it absolutely is, and and I don't really know how to like looking back now. I were always supposed to take that path. Yeah, yeah. rugby were never my calling. But but can I just interject here? Yeah, because you strike me. Met you in the car park then, you pulled up, uh, you brought me this bag, you know, we went into the Starbucks and you put your hand on my back and you're like, how are you doing, mate? You know, you come across to me now today as this really, really, um, you're the type of guy who would like, I would like you to be my friend. You don't, you don't seem hard. You don't seem um, uh, the masculine norm of a Marine. Shut the fuck up, you daft cunt. And, mm. um, you, you seem a far cry from someone who would go to a pub, drink 10 pints now, and go out and fight. Yeah. Um, 
I would like to have maybe known you then and maybe and and then seen know, the transition. Yeah. Mm. Because I only see someone now in front of me who is someone who I would who I really look up to actually. Mm. No, um, I really appreciate that, mate. I really do. And uh I think now, just going back to when you said that we when we walked into the coffee shop, it's not something that I feel like I have to think about in how I am as a person. That's just how I am. Well, I, I like people touching me. Not, I, I'm a very touchy person. Yeah. And with males especially, yeah. I, I, I've always liked touching. <laughs> I know it sounds so wrong. I've always liked <laughs> sounds touching. Sounds a bit wrong. It, no, it does, but I don't care. I've always yeah. liked touching guys. Yeah, I've sure, always been sure. very like that. I get it, mate. I get it completely. I think I've just really like kind of socially aware like social intelligence i've got like this awareness and i think it's i absolutely think it's from being in them dressing rooms as a young lad as a really really young kid like four five six we all these blokes and just like learning how to act in that environment and and how they act and picking up on like social cues and behavior and stuff and i, I just i just seem to in a sense just get it i just understand it i understand if somebody's not right or or, or what? So, you've turned up at the recruitment office. Yeah. You've signed on. Yeah. You're a young lad. Yeah. Green between the ear, whatever they call it. Train him. Talk us through... <sighs> try and condense it if you can. <laughs> you know, talk us through that to getting a Green Beret. If, yeah. if you can. So, I know the listeners, by, by the way, we've got a tough task here. We've got an hour. <laughs> so, we are trying our best. Yeah. But take us on this journey. Yeah, sure. So I went down for a PRMC, which is a pre, uh, pre-military pre course. I can't remember it off the top of my head now, which is ridiculous. But uh, yeah, so I went down for that. And uh, it's, it was a three-day selection where you went down and you kind of got tested out mentally and physically to see uh, your aptitude to start training. Uh, potential Royal Marines course, that's what it was called. Uh and you had this massive bunch of blokes that, for all intents and purposes, looked massively out out of place. And because they're just big, they were big. Yeah, I mean, we were just the environment when you walk into Limston Commando Training Centre. Oh, I bet you can so, feel the testosterone. I bet it's just dick like, swinging. Yeah, it's just a very hostile environment to go into. One where you just kind of you just want to call your mum up. And really? Yeah, you just like you, you walk in and you're like. I don't really think I want to be here anymore. It's a bit like so that. honest of you to say that because yeah. that would that would be me. Yeah, and you, you go in and like on on the PRMC, and I'll I'll catch up to training soon. But on the PRMC, we stood you stood there outside the PRMC block, and everybody else is, that's already in training shouting down like, "This is shit, lads! Fucking hell, it's shit!" Like like look at him there with that top on, all this, and you're getting shit, and it's a very very unnerving experience and you do your PRMC and you, you, you like do a, a bleep test, press up test, three mile run uh, in under 22 and a half minutes. Uh, you go down the bottom field. It's, it's so intense, mate. Like the first night we got there was very, very calm. The second day the doors flew open and uh, there's lads getting, back in the day, like lads getting physically ripped out of the beds uh, oh. at five and you'd like, get these fucking boots on, get this jacket on. Nobody can do it in time because everybody's flapping. But that's on purpose. So. Oh, absolutely. And it's just, then it's just intense. And uh, So up every day at what, 5am? Up at 5, 5.30, yeah. And you, you, you then, you've then got a real physical and mentally draining day. And I mean, come the end of the first day on the PRMC, uh, I mean, that's been disbanded now. But uh, on the first day of the PRMC, there were like maybe two thirds of 
two thirds gone. Really? Yeah, mate. Yeah. And I bet you got strength from that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Every time somebody put their hand up and said they could no longer continue or failed, it like empowered me. I like got more power like a superhero and I were like, fucking hell, I'm still in the fight here and I feel good. And that's from day one. And that's from day one and then day two and then day three, there were like even less and there were only, I don't want to, I don't want to say, but maybe like 30 people that passed PRMC. That, that, every cyclist listening here is going to be jumping up and down. Yeah. That is exactly <clears throat> what cycling is. Yeah. Starts off 100 guys, yeah. whatever, just gets whittled down, whittled yeah. down to you in a bunch of whatever. So yeah. that correlation, mm. the listeners can really, so I'm really glad he said that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so it were an unbelievable experience, mate, an eye-opening kind of character-changing experience, but one I didn't want to experience again. And I went home and I got told, I passed PRMC, I felt amazing. I over, I almost feel like I had my Greenberry on me then, although I, I nowhere near. I went home and they said, look, you've got three months before you start training. Phone rang day after and they said, we want you in training in three weeks. And I just wasn't ready mentally. Is that, is that allowed, even though it was supposed to be three months? Allowed? Yeah, in a sense. I mean, they just said... Uh, they said you can start in three, in three weeks, or you can start in three months. And I thought, you know what, fuck it. And how long is the training thing to get into the to get a green beret? Thirty-two weeks. That thirty-two weeks. Yeah. Hang on, I thought it'd be like a month or something. Yeah, no, it's the training from from start of training to end of training is thirty-two. It's longest basic military training course in the world. Sorry, do you know why I said that? Because I watch stuff like SAS on Channel Four. Yeah, and that's what six episodes and it's an outreach yeah, so my yeah. mind's distorted thinking yeah well it, you know it might be a week mm. 32 weeks 32 weeks mate yeah where at yeah down in limston in devon uh it's commando training center it's a place in limston uh harrowing place mate you know this podcast ain't doing this justice and i'm very much aware of this um i bet there's been moments there that you know, which make you shudder now. Yeah, you know you, what, mate? You, you've, you've, I can see in your eyes, you've gone through hell there, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, it, it were a tough, we had, we had a tough time, mate. We, had, we There were, I think there were 58 lads that started and 11 of us that finished after 32 weeks. And uh, I've wrote about this in the book, uh, the construct of masculinity on, on week two and not giving too much away, but when I started, when you start, as a young lad, you see all these like lads that are like your stereotypical depiction of, of a man, of masculinity. Big, probably coming off steroids, tattoos all over, just aggressive looking. And you automatically think that these guys are hard or that they're going to absolutely pass training come the end. And it's an f- absolute fallacy of our kind of perception really social like, perception social of, of what hard of is the social construction yeah. uh, side of perception that we're brought up to believe that's the first question i wanted to ask you today yeah and i said it to you didn't i before we started yeah I'd, I'd done a post recently on who i who i personally believe is the hardest person i've ever yeah and it's alistair brownlee yeah. in terms of absolutely <laughs> but that, if you but, look but, at, if you look at alistair yeah and you or you look at the brownlee brothers they look so unassuming you could pass them in the street and just i don't know they just don't look anything. No. At all. They're not physically imposing at all. No. But they're absolutely devastating athletes. Oh, can... to, to be able to run until you pass out. I personally can't do that. Yeah. But but I'm already 32 mm. and I've lived a very sheltered life. Mm. Now, I've not met someone like you. And I was very much aware when I did that post, I was like, should I do this? Because I'm about to meet someone who's 
whole concept of tough is going to be absolutely flipped on its head. Mm. Um, it's, yeah, it's interesting that, that you say tough isn't what we think it is. Yeah, so just just go, just going back to that briefly, mate, and, and it were like, you had all these guys and you were like, they're going to make it. And then you've got all these like geeky looking blokes, a bit like Alistair and and John, which... Are, yeah, which, no, they do. Which you, which you do and you're like, you're like thinking, oh, no chance. And... Uh, after four or five weeks of like intense training and sleep deprivation at the start of training, all the guys that you like thought were going to be like absolutely nails and pass were literally crying on the bed, some of them, or making up excuses why they couldn't continue or phoning the mums, even some of them. Uh, and they left and come the end of training, all the geeky lads that looked unphysically imposing, for all intents and purposes, introverted, and the extroverted guys that were all like, I'll fucking bang you out and stuff like that had gone. All the introverted, quiet, unassuming guys yeah. had a green beret on their head at the end, and it were absolutely a fascinating observation for me. And I've brought that out in the book. Do you know what I mean? As to the fallacy of of kind of human processing, especially man on man, and how you can look at somebody and think, "God, he must be solid. He must be nails," mm. but he's not. I wish Doctor Tom was here today, right now, because we could do an episode just on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Mm. I'm a little bit speechless, really. With that. I'm, I'm a little bit. It's something I'm quite passionate about. Mm. What's tough? What yeah, is hard? Yeah, yeah. You could do a book on that on itself. No, you absolutely could, mate. You absolutely could, and that's what I've tried to like, kind of. Because if you go on Instagram and you uh, have these motivational videos on YouTube, mm. it's always someone in the gym. It's always a bodybuilder, yeah, six pack. Someone running in mud, David Goggins. Uh, it, it, well, it normally is. Mm. It's never a single parent mum working three jobs with four kids. Yeah, it's never an mm. addict getting yeah. clean. Yeah, it's never someone who's lost. Tw- no, sometimes it is someone who's lost a lot of weight. I just think our construct of what is hard and what is tough is just purely on. Well, it's not purely on how you look, but it is a lot, isn't it? It is. No, it we, is a we, lot. We on absolutely. That. I think, as as human beings, we absolutely whether this has been socially constructed or whether this is just a part of our makeup, but we absolutely value the look of of I suppose the human body in a sense. You automatically think that somebody's got that's big muscles that's ripped to shreds. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough or destroy somebody else that hasn't. And there were a great post out uh, that I saw on on social media recently, and it was. It sh- I think it showed you Tyson Fury against somebody else. And this other bloke were just absolutely massive. Well, I'm clearly on steroids. And you had like Tyson Fury who were like massively overweight. And it were like, you would not believe, the lay person would not believe that the bloke on the left would put the bloke on the right away in a couple of seconds. And it's completely true. What we, do, 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 do you well, know Well, in, I mean? in all intents and purposes, purposes uh, Tyson Fury versus Anthony Joshua is that. That is the David and Goliath in it terms is, of your mate, mental yeah, health. Yeah. Mental health, uh, your body look. Uh, yeah, body composition. Yeah. Losing your hair, mm. um, depression. Yeah. Um, On, it, yeah. <laughs> you got a guy like who looks, it's like uh, um, uh, Rocky Balboa when he yeah. uh, fights the Russian. Mate, it absolutely it is. It is completely yeah. that. Yeah, it absolutely is, yeah. Um, but hey. This is the Yorkshire Grit Podcast. So anyway, yeah, the training you suddenly realised you were down to what? How many people was it? Yeah, so uh, there were a lot left in the first four to six weeks. And again, that like, it abs- if you speak to anybody that stays the course, people watching people go empowers you. And what they used to do in training is they'd have like a, uh, a troop photo on of all the original people that started. 
and as you leave, the the scribble scribble your face out or turn your black. Uh, so you can see all these black filaments going in, and who's remaining, and it's 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 absolutely fascinating. But it absolutely empowers you. I used just 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 to think, oh, you're weak, like, and and I never really bought into people's excuses for why they wanted to go home. I just were like, just can't hack it, and and I just loved that. Do you know what I mean? It really, really empowered me. Could you drink? Did you have weekends to yourself? Yeah, we did, mate. We did. Uh, not for the first couple of weeks. For the first couple of weeks, you can pr- maybe sneak out for a pint. When I say sneak out on on the on the there's a there's a pub on camp. Uh, you can't you can't really go out. You get a bit of leave on a weekend, but it's capped, so you might get like four or five, six hours. But you have to be back within that time period. Uh, and in, obviously, in that period, you do sink as many pints as you can, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and then and then come back. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but yeah. it's uh, it's just the hardest. I, I just cannot begin to tell you just how. Are we talking things like um, how tough it is, mate? Blisters here. Oh, <laughs> mate. I mean, because <laughs> that would do my head in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if I had a blister, I think I would stop more. Yeah. Because of a blister than something huge. Yeah, I mean, lads. Blisters just become a, a part of your everyday, really, until you break your boots, you know, they're just a, an enduring part of, of, of every exercise and, and the longevity of training, really. And you, you you just, you absolutely get to a mental state where you'll just push through anything. And you, lads literally will, will tip the boots up after various uh, fitness tests or, or exercise and you'll see blood coming out from, from blisters and, and, and foot injuries and stuff like that. It's, it's just the most unbelievable uh, journey of self-discovery. I think any kind of... Did you cry much? Mate, I did. I cry. I can remember we did a speed map. We were coming down from an exercise and would be common down to uh, down to camp, which is about four miles. Uh, and we had all this kit on his back and it was like cutting into my shoulders. My arms were going numb and my hands and Fuck. I was just in fucking shit state, mate. Do you know what I mean? And really just fatigued. I had no sleep. We'd had no sleep for three or four days, like very little to eat. It was like middle of winter. It was freezing. And I'm like walking back and uh, one of the lads collapsed, actually. A really good friend of mine collapsed with blisters. And uh, I can remember just coming back and I was thinking about my granddad in a really, really like weird way and just like... Not to... Just like keeping, like he was just keeping me like solid in it, yeah, in, in, in it so that I, so I like, so I wouldn't quit. Uh, That's mint. Yeah, and I just, yeah, it was tough, mate. And I, I, I didn't cry, but I had like tears coming down my face. Do you know what I mean? I was just emotionally like just pulled all over, and that's kind of the fabric of training, really, mate. It's just like. We've spoke before, and I really like what you said. It's it's just one's propensity to suffer, and if you, if you, it, it's it's having that ability to suffer, mate. And if you've got that ability to to suffer and like bite down on your gum shield and just get through it, because in between, like in between, like it's in the diary in between week eight and ten of training. Uh, I think we had something like ten or eleven hours sleep in fourteen nights. And it might seem like unbelievable, but that's that's the case. And there were like lads literally falling asleep, stood up. Uh, you just absolutely broken beyond belief. For, for me, I would just constantly think, right, well, I'm ill. Because mm. I know what I'm like now. Yeah. Did you not just kid yourself like, well, no, I can't do this because I'll, I'll die. No, <laughs> no, mate. You, 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 you like go into this like higher level of, of self-awareness really where you just, you know where you can push to and the, the, and 
I say this all the time now to like people that we coach on on a company that I've got called Fortitude Elite. It's like there's higher levels within. There's absolutely higher levels. Even within. if you've got stuff like tonsillitis and you're shivering all night and you're absolutely Obviously, yeah, stuff like that. But I mean, if you put like I suppose illness aside, you can just go to you. You can find a new breaking point. You can you can there's 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 boundaries that that you can that, that you can explore that you can put yourself in where you can produce higher levels of performance and stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's almost like not listening to your body and then redefining what, where you, where you can push your body to. And and obviously that then elicits higher levels of performance. And that's kind of what you learned in training, mate. It were, it, it were just an unbelievable, an unbelievable process. But at, ev at any point in training throughout, you never think you're going to do it. You don't think you can do it, even until the last, on the 30 miler, on the last commando test, you don't think that you can do it. Is that a 30 mile uh, run, walk? It's like a, yeah, like a, a fast march stroke run. You do it in eight hours of a dartmoor with, with like 50, up to 50 pounds of kit. But you're broken by that point, mate. I'd had like an hour sleep before I did that. And I'd already done another free commando test that week. I, I'm going to cry. I, <laughs> I knew this would shape my opinion of what tough is. Ah, oh, fuck's sake. Um, did, are you eating enough? Are you giving enough to eat? Yeah, you are, mate. You are. I mean, at times... Do you uh, bonk? Are you, like, dizzy because you haven't got enough? Yeah, in a sense, mate. Yeah, I mean, the, the, you eat. The Royal Marines get uh, an extra meal allocated to them, and that's the, 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 it's the only force that does that because of uh, you're burning something like six or 7,000 calories a day in what you're doing. Come the commando tests, I mean, I had a ruptured cruciate ligament uh, and a torn right Achilles, and I'm going into like four artist testing world, physical artist testing world, like endurance course, which is what the lad does, what I've said about the 99.9% .9 did not apply. You do the nine-mile speed march, which has to be done in under, under an hour and a half, and then Tarzan assault course, which is 13 minutes of like all out that has to be done. About a, about a mile, uh, K and a half, and then you go straight from that into your into your thirty miler, and it's just, I mean, I were hallucinating on thirty miler. Were well, you? Yeah. Last part of it, yeah. <laughs> Which we, we literally. I'm just I'm just blown away by this. Yeah, we did. We we uh, we had to walk up like the final like six to get to the twenty four mile checkpoint. You had to walk up like a, a farmer's field, and it were all like. Because it was February, it were all like mud boggy and you were slipping and stuff like that. And you had to like walk up the this left-hand side of this farmer's field. And we got to the top, to the 24-mile checkpoint. And at various stages, there's graves on it of lads that have died doing it. What? Yeah. And actually, what, who actually tried to do the test have died? Yeah, they've died doing it, unfortunately, tragically, yeah. And you stop and you have like a, a little tot of rum or, and, and you just kind of tip your cap to, to these to these lads and you crack on and we got to 24 mile checkpoint and I absolutely underestimated how far six miles was I thought I've fucking done it I've got it in the bag that last six miles mate were just like the most emotional six miles I've ever had in my life I like started hallucinating like seeing things that I was trying to grab the PTI room with me I lost the rest of the lads for, and for all intents and purposes I was like absolutely going to fail the 30 miler and fail the complete thing uh, and not get my green beret and then as I'm like going up this farmer's field, another kind of side of a farmer's field, I was like pulling myself up on barbed wire to, to like get to the top so it cut all my hands to pieces. But it was just like this struggle to succeed. Like I just I just couldn't quit. I couldn't, regardless of what my body were telling me, I just couldn't, 
couldn't let it go. I had to, I had to get to the end. Believe it or not, my, my PTI said to me, he said, look, you're going to fail this. He said, have you got anything in your bag that's going to bring you around? And like remarkably, really, I, I packed 16 Jaffa cakes, you know, in an old Jaffa cake tube. Yeah. And I pulled them out and, uh, well, he pulled them out and he said, right, just, just get them down you. And I like literally just inhaled all these 16 Jaffa cakes. I had a drink of water and then I would literally, mate, it brought me around. And I like, I just set off running and I caught the lads up just before they crossed the bridge to get the Green Berets and passed it. Yeah, um, just just brutal. Just a brutal, just brutal, it's just brutal, mate. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm not pausing for effect. Yeah. In a podcast, you have to keep talking. I, yeah, that, I can, I don't know if I'm jealous I don't know if I'm jealous. I just feel, I'm just like, wow, I kind of want to do that. No, I don't want to do that. I want to have that feeling at the end of just having that moment in my life. Mm. I can envisage my old headmaster. I can see my mum and dad. Like, that must have just been like... <sighs> it, were, it were unbelievable, mate. And do, you think, do you think you can ever top that? You know what, mate? It's like, obviously, I've, I've just wrote the book. And after like five years of like unbelievable journey of like writing and trying to get it published, I finally got it published with Odder and Stoughton, which is like a major publishing publishing awesome. house. You are the new Aunt Middleton. No. <laughs> Hopefully I'll do a better job than him, mate. Uh, especially with a book. But yeah, I mean, that for me is just an unbelievable achievement, getting that published. Because I, did, I didn't do very well at school at all. Yeah. So for me to get some literature out there that's that's been recognised as being good enough to publish by a major publisher is one of my greatest achievements, but I always come back to, you can't beat that. Do you know what I mean? Can you yeah. beat that? For where I was in my life, Tom, uh, at 20 years old, always getting arrested. I know it was such a huge risk for me that, because if I would have failed the Marines... Dread to think where I would yeah, have been. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? And I know it's the old cliche, like I would have been in prison or whatnot. But I'd, for everybody that that knows me, as he, you were going down that path. I were absolutely going down that path, mate. Yeah, of just. I'm not saying I liked it, but that's what were on the table. So it say it absolutely set. I saved me, but that set that opportunity saved me as well. Yeah. Um, I've got so many things my mind's just going like if you're on the bike at the moment just fucking sprint as hard as you can um, <laughs> I really want everyone to take or if you're running if you're in the gym right now you come on you, you need to take something from this um, okay so you've so you've got the Green Beret mm. now when we met for a coffee uh, you told me about this incident uh, when you'd actually left the, 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 the Marines yeah it was um uh, you were doing like uh, uh, piracy. Uh, yeah. Would you say that's probably one of your most intense, you know, or were there incidents in the Marines which you think, nah, Tom, I can beat that? Or, were, you know... I think that was, that was quite an intense thing with the, uh, the pirate attack, uh, doing private security. There was some uncomfortable moments in Afghan doing like close protection bodyguarding. Yeah, after that. But the, the pirate attack in particular... I just had a feeling, mate, before it even happened. I just thought I'd done so many like high, like uh, high risk kind of hostile transits, 
past Somalia, that sooner or later it were gonna you were gonna kind of get some attention, and that's kind of how I felt about it. And uh, I picked, I got on the, sh the the vessel in in Malta as the team leader, and I took it down the Suez Canal, met the rest of the team at Port Suez in Egypt. They got on it was just so that the company could save money, just having one person on board as opposed to three. That's that's the only reason. And on the way down in the Red Sea, uh, the ship was like full of iron ore. So it was really low freeboard. So you could literally step off it from one ship to another. Ship to another. Because you've seen Castor, Tom Hanks. How the fuck did they do that? Like, they must have some absolute balls. to like, Ships intimidate me. I've got this weird fascination with ships, oil rigs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I don't know why. You know what, mate? And I, I completely get it. I mean, when you see like a, a ship underway, a big tanker or a, a container ship. Do you think it's to do with that perception of what big and strong? I, I, I just see maybe, like, the, I, I Google the Titanic at night when mm, I can't sleep. Mm, How weird is that? Mm. I'm obsessed with like big, it's weird. Yeah. No, but I, I completely get it, mate. It's like, you shouldn't be going anywhere near that when it's underway, when it's traveling. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah. You shouldn't be going, you, you just shouldn't because like it, it kind of signals to you that you, you're going to get killed or you're going to go under ship or, or whatever. You're going to end up in water, but they're just all over it, mate. They just, they don't really see the danger in it. Do you know what I mean? And, and I think, especially in our case, cause you were, you were on the low line one. We were on the low, we were the, per, we, had, we had the perfect kind of storm to get pirated. Uh, we had a low freeboard. It were only going like eight knots, like around eight mile an hour, just, just at full tilt. So we couldn't evade anything, uh, and they could just more or less get on, just hook a ladder on and get on. It were an easy, easy, easy boarding, really. Uh, and on the way down, we were just some lads were laughing and joking. We had four man team, and some lads were laughing and joking, saying we're going to get, we're going to get hit here. And it, I was like, fucking, it. Like, I, I, it were feeding into like my anxiety that we we're going to get hit, and I'm thinking, fuck. But did you have more than like water cannons? We had AKs. Okay. AK-47s, yeah. And or, is, or a variant of that. And is that your favourite weapon of choice, Gary? It though? wouldn't have been. Yeah, it wouldn't have been, mate. I would have rather have had like an M4 or something like that. But is that a handgun? No, it's uh, what the what the Americans have. Okay. It's like a bit of it's like a, a short and assault weapon, a okay. carbine. Just a, a fantastic weapon, but the AK is seven point six two, so you've got a longer range and a, and a, a lot more of a an impact. Right. Uh, so it, it's arguably a good weapon, but it's not just not very accurate, really. So we're going down there, and then. Uh, we got to a place called Bab Mendeb, which is a short crossing between uh, Yemen and, and uh, I think it's Eritrea or Ethiopia offhand. It's only like 11 miles, 30 miles. So you can see each country, but it kind of narrows and, and like really channels people into one area. All right, so it's yeah. perfect. For, that would make sense. Yeah. They just know that that's the place they can to go. just sit off. And what they do is they'll, they'll have the weapons under boat uh, and they'll be tending to fish and then they'll bring the weapons up and go and attack if something looks viable. Uh, so I'm down having my my uh, my dinner with a captain because I was the TL and for some random thing, they wanted me to sit with the captain and the and the officers. So I'm having my, my tea, but I was having it on my own because I were on watch shortly after. Yep. And it came on the radio and the lads were like, guys, you need to get up here now. You need to get up here now. And I knew straight away that something was wrong just by how they sounded on the radio. So I like sprinted up all these flights of stairs frantically got to the top and I'm like blowing out uh, put my body armor on and when I looked through the binoculars I could just see that you could I could just see from the angles that were cutting because I've been on FSRT so I'd, I, I, I'd, 
or a non-compliant boarding operator in the Marines. So you that, you do all that. You know all the tactics and how they're going to board and stuff like and that. Are That's they called skivvies? These called skiffs. Skiffs. Yeah. So you could we could see a skiff coming in. Uh, they had the weapons and rockets up in air and stuff <laughs> like that. And I'm just like thinking, like, fucking hell, it's actually happening. And but, I had like this this really really short short period where I'm like just in disbelief, like like thinking like fucking hell, it is actually happening. <laughs> uh, because they're not obviously they can't do much of iron ore. No, it, this is the misconception again. They're not bothered about the ship and its contents. They want to leverage the the life on board, the captain. That's where they get their uh, ransom. The ransom from, yeah, yeah. So it's not what's on board per se. It's the want the they want the captain and the crew. So that makes it even scarier because you could just say like, oh, if it was a if it was a ship full of mint stuff, you could like take that. But you know, they're not coming for that. Don't they're care coming. less, mate. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. So there's st- so so there were two skiffs steaming in on the port side, like cutting cutting us off. So you can't really evade. They're coming in at, at this particular angle, and they had this initial feeling. It's like this, you know, that flight of fight or flight where you're gonna enter into a fight when you're not really. It's you, caught you off guard. You like, get that little bead of sweat when you fall. You're like you're, you're like, <sighs> yeah, and you're, you're like, oh, don't, like, just give me five, give me five. It was a bit like that, and I'm like thinking like, <sighs> like like fucking hell, and. Uh, I took like a couple of deep breaths and I just, I kind of got into it a bit. And I, was, and I like, I could just, in a sense, see what was going to happen. But I worked TL and I, I've, I've, I've put this in the book. It's like, I kind of, I wanted somebody to talk to and like somebody to like tell me it was going to be okay. But I had all these people asking me what to do, what to do. And is it going to be okay? And I had nobody to ask myself and I were in desperate need of like some kind of reinforcement, uh, but I didn't have it. Do you have so, to be? Are you, are you calm at this point? Is, is yeah, calm, very calm, mate. Yeah, but it, I, I, very calm in in persona, but like yeah. internally, like no, like hundred percent flapping. So they're getting it's cl- just managing that. So they're getting closer. Mm. Who fires the first shots? We did, as in like a fuck off, like yeah, a warning. warning shot. Yeah. yeah, so we fired warning shots into water. Uh, the sound from the AKs that like reverberated around the the, sh- the bridge of the ship were unbelievable. And by this point, mate, my sensors were like so finely attuned, I could feel like a drop of sweat drop off my nose and it it like the the steel structure of the boat. I've never ever experienced it before in my life. It were like it were like I were just absolutely so finely attuned to my environment. Yeah, heightened. I was just like completely alive. And uh, so we fired warning shots in and they just came straight through them. Like they just was not bothered at all. And I was like, fucking hell, like that hadn't worked. And it, I've said this before, it's almost weird, like when we fired us shots from AKs, it were like, I was just thinking, please, someone come out at the end of this. Do you know what I mean? I was like, please just- Turn around. Work, as in the weapon. All right, the weapon. Oh. Yeah, I was like, just please, like, someone come out at the end of this and work, as it should do, because if not, we fucked. Uh, and it were all, all like this really, really fast process processing that's going on and uh, they came through and I've all, I'll always remember there were a lad on the front of the skiff that was uh, only a young lad and he were like sat on the front of the skiff like laid on it like you're on a deck chair on holiday yep. as if it were just an everyday thing what, what were happening and uh, yeah we ended up more came there were like 10-12 skiffs that came from all different angles trying to board and over like 35-40 minutes we were like engaged in, in a, a bit of a standoff with them or some of them anyway 
And uh, long story short, mate, we came out of it. That's a pretty long story short. So, yeah. <laughs> so but, uh, uh, how many of them would you say there was? A lot, mate. A and lot was, of guys. And there was four of you. There were four of us, yeah. And you managed to stop them commandeering the ship. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I must admit, mate, at one point, I had like this kind of realisation where I thought we were going to get killed. Because there were so many. Yeah, I just thought we can't, we're going to get overrun here. We can't, we can't do this. So are you having to say to someone, right, you're on the right, yeah. you're on the left. Absolutely, yeah. Is it kind of backs to the wall so you can see everywhere? Yeah. I'm just completely, this is me as a read, like layman's terms mm. here, mate. Mm. Do you just have to cover all angles? As yeah, much so as what happened was, mate, we had two Johns and a, and a lad called Ben. And it were like, like Ben, port side, port side, lay down fire. John, starboard side, starboard side, lay down fire, lay down fire. And it were like, in the end, how, how it kind of, how we won the arm wrestle in the end was, We've got another lad called John who I can't remember his second name, but he'd just come back from Afghan. Really, really good lad. We'd been a we'd been a commando unit together. Uh I put him up on the monkey deck so he could see like a three sixty degree angle of, of what were transpiring and he, he had a radio. And I just kept saying sit rep, sit rep, sit rep. Uh and he just he kept telling me where they were and and, and how they were kind of shaping up and who were like what were happening. And that level of communication that I, that we kind of set up together enabled me to like keep control of the port and starboard side. Okay. In the midst of it, like when you're trying to win the arm wrestle, I thought we we're going to get we we're going to get killed. And what's it like to have a bullet fired at you? So the lads said, "Look, they're firing at us." But if I'm perfectly if I'm perfectly honest, I didn't get any sense of it because I was too busy just trying to. Stay on top of things. I mean, mm. in the midst of it, mate, I made the lads a cup of tea, believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> Please tell me that's a joke. No, no. I, I, I like made the lads a cup of tea and I took a cup of tea out to them. And uh, we sat behind, well, we took cover behind this uh, this bridge wing, this steel bridge wing. And we were like drinking this cup of tea and just like, we were just like laughing, just saying, what the fuck is going on here? How long did it last for this on sort? Like an, like an hour or something or two hours? It was for, I think it was 35, 40 minutes. And you made a cup of tea? A cup of tea in the middle of it, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but when you were picking people off, could you see that they were dying? No, we. Uh, it, it's really, really weird, mate, because you're, you're jumping up quickly and you you're kind of engaging. But I mean, when I spoke to the lads after, they just said there were people in that boat, and there were only one that popped up at the end and drove off. So you kind of get from that that. The rest of, have died. Of, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, if someone finishes a gym session, boxing match, football match, uh, cycling race, you know, uh, uh, afterwards, and when the adrenaline's been heightened, yeah, and you finish, yeah, what do you do? Is it like right, lads, uh, another cup of tea, or you know, I, I know what I would do, yeah. But how do you then like chill out after mm. that? I, so from going from feeling that we were going to get killed and I desperately didn't want to die. Uh, it was such an uncomfortable realisation. But then as we started winning the arm wrestle and it wasn't so much visually, but I just had this sense that we were winning or we were starting to repel and win. And that sense of relief was just something that I've never experienced before in, in my life. It was just like a relief of living that I'm going to live. That I'm not going to die. And it was just absolutely just like euphoric. It were unbelievable. 
after the attack, everybody were just, all the ship's crew, the captain were just like, just treated us as complete heroes for what we'd done. And uh, it was just unbelievable, mate, absolutely unbelievable. The uh, the threw a party for us uh, two days after. And uh, I didn't take part because I had like statements to write and I had to talk to like head office in pool and I just had to be on top of my game really for what I needed to do as a TL. But some of the lads had, had been out with a ship, had been to this party and they'd all had uh, like a naked bar and they'd all been walking around ship naked with captain and, and crew and everything. It was absolutely superb, mate. <sighs> superb, yeah. How do you kind of, like, how do you fit into normal life after that? Like, are you always searching for that buzz? I always, I always thought I would have been, mate, yeah. I mean, mum always said to me, like, you're never going to be able to do a normal job and I didn't think I would be able to, mate. I always were really, really attracted to... I called it like a bit like the game, like mm. going out and just being in hostile environments, like being in Afghan. I always like loved being in like the thick of the action and being like on the verge of getting into a contact. I absolutely loved it. All the 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 thought of it. I absolutely I wanted to be in the in kind of the the worst hostile environments that I could get into as a young lad. But as soon as I had my son, uh, five years ago, I like lost an edge, something like died within, thankfully. And it it just meant that I could that I ne I could never and I never wanted to go out and kind of pursue that kind of life, do you know what I mean? That kind of living on on, on the absolute edge of, of existence really. And it was my son that, that completely killed that edge that I had. And if somebody phoned me up now and said, Look, I've got a job in Afghan I don't know, 200, 250 grand a year. I couldn't take it because that part of me that had that edge to go out and do that kind of work has gone. And that's due to my son. So, so what's, so what's life now? What's, what's day to day? What's, you know? Yeah, mate. So I, uh, so day to day now, uh, obviously I've got the book. I've got the book coming out, mate. And, uh, that whole five-year process of writing and I suppose being an author and, and becoming a published author is is that's amazing. Yeah, thanks, mate. Thanks. When's it out? It's out in June, uh, June on Father's Day, and or maybe it? shortly after. And it's called is it is it called it's called Becoming the 0.1 Percent, and it's uh, 34 lessons in elite thinking, performance, and, and goal attainment. Yeah. So are you all, so is everything kind of geared towards that at the moment? It you, is, mate, You have yeah. to do a lot of media it, it, behind that. And yeah, it's 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 my absolute passion, mate. And like, when I think like Bloody Element Author, when I think about it, like, I started writing when I was 20, when I wrote the diary in training, because that's where the books come from. Yeah. In training, I wrote a diary for for the entire thing, like yeah. every single day. Good on you. And it turned into a book, mate, and it's never been done before. And uh, I've wrote that up recently and added studied psychology for the last six to eight years and I've and I've I've added 34 psychology based lessons to each like like we've discussed the construct of masculinity there's like yeah. losing sight at the end there's all there's all different stuff in there mate and uh, I've absolutely loved the process so I would absolutely love that's one of my things that I want to do is write another book I don't know on what probably be psychology based on mindset and performance yeah but, I, think uh, that, I think that'd be unreal yeah yeah and that, that's that's where I see myself mate I would love to just become a full-time author and, and just be kind of accredited for, for, for being that person. So the book is obviously an amazing achievement. What else are you up to? Like, what What's life now for you? 
Yeah, mate. So, I mean, off the back of the book, I uh, I first put like the the intention of the book and, and the book live about just over a year ago now on social media, and I got a load of lads that had, that had like get in touch with me and uh, like inundated really with lads that were like, any tips for training, interview, medical, how do I get fit for this? What's it like in military training? And I got back to all of them and I still do and I, and I always will do, do you know what I mean? Uh, really, really important to do that because that's what I got yeah. when I were going in from, from some good mates uh, that I'm still mates with now. Uh, so I got in contact with another lad uh, who I went through training with and we discussed setting up a company uh, where we could get people ready for military training, both mentally and physically. Uh, and that's what we do now. It's, it's called Fortitude Elite. And we've... We, what a great idea that is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's... That's always going to work. Yeah. And and it's been just a fantastic success since we started in, in June. And uh, my, my partner, uh, Oz, is, is absolutely fantastic. He's ex-Royal Marine. Uh, he ended up being on GB rowing team. And then... Uh, we're a strength and conditioning coach at Plymouth Argyle and he just brings a really, really solid element and I do the, the psychology performance coaching and we, we get these people on and we we get them ready both mentally and physically, ready for elite elite training or people that are already in that are going for for, for special forces training selection. My best mate is a Plymouth Argyle fan. So he's really? Be, yeah, I've been to a few games, been to yeah, about five yeah. Plymouth games. Really? Yeah, so he's going to be buzzing when yeah. he hears about that. But yeah, fantastic. What's he like? Oh, the guy, the uh, Plymouth Argyle strength and conditioning guy. He's just a top bloke, mate. He's a top bloke. Obviously, we went through training together when we were younger. But, but what does he think of football? It's, uh, it's a good question, mate. I've never really, I've, I've never, never is he really, really talked hard about on it. Like if a footballer comes in and goes, oh, I kind of tweak my calf a bit. Yeah, is he yeah. going to be like, <laughs> 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 do you know what I mean? After your 30 mile, uh, when yeah, you're rushing, is yeah. he going to be like, mate, fucking, come on. Uh, yeah, he's uh I've never really talked to him about it or, or his relationship with that or, or how he normally handles it. But what I will say is he just doesn't suffer fools gladly in a way. He's just like no no bullshit approach. I mean, I've, in, the, in, the, in the diary entries on when we're doing an exercise called Running Man, uh, I'm behind him and uh, I'm like wincing and like making all these like noises of like discomfort and in pain. Yeah. And he turned around and he just... Give me this boiled sweet or slip me this boiled sweet, and he just went, Shut the fuck up. Yeah. yeah. And uh, that boiled sweet, mate, were just like me realizing that Santa Claus were like completely reeling, walking through my front door when I was like seven years old. Do you know what I mean? It completely lifted my morale. And that's in the diary, and uh, we always laugh about it now, but that just kind of, that's what he's like. He's like just on it. Um, do you sleep all right? I do. I do. You know what? I struggle, I, I do struggle getting to sleep, but that's because... What time do you normally go up to bed? Between 10 and 12. Take, yeah. What does it take, about half an hour, an hour to nod off? Yeah, sometimes, mate. Yeah, I mean, my mind's just constantly working. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I've, I've never like one of these people that can just sleep on a, on a washing line. I'm always thinking, my mind's always, always like, buff, 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 buff. There's always... I'm a deep thinker as well. And I'm not saying negatively a deep thinker, but I'm just... I'm just deep. I want to work things out. I'm just interested in, in psychology and, and whatnot. And that's, that's, it's kind of why I chose psychology because I absolutely, I wanted to understand me mm -hmm. uh, and why I was like I was when I was younger because I had such a lack of empathy, mate, where I just, 
I just wanted to like hurt people. Yep. Do you know what I mean? In 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 not a very nice way, and and I had just no empathy for for people at all. I still had this 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 element where it were weird. I were like a, two different people. I'd be like really loving and caring, and like really like affectionate and touchy feely with my mates, but then I could go out and just inflict violence on somebody else. And coming off the back of the of the Marines and how I knew I felt in the Marines yeah. towards going on operations and, and potentially killing the enemy. Yeah. Uh, I had no empathy at all. And I really wanted to understand that, that, that about myself. So I started studying forensic psychology. Uh, and it's one of the best things that I've ever done in my life. So I absolutely loved it. It's really inspiring that. It's, um, yeah, there's a lot of things you're saying today, which is, I think people are going to be, you know, really kind of, overwhelmed you know I'm I I said to you in Starbucks I've had a bit of a I've gone back to therapy god this is getting I get so boring people are going to be like Tom shut the fuck up <laughs> but, I, but I, I do maybe feel like I have really met someone now who is really finding out you know it's, apparently it's all boiling down to power mm. and I've got a bad ideology of women unequal power dynamics yeah and you know she asked me and she said to me uh, okay then so how do you see yourself as a husband mm. And I was just like, I, I, it threw me that much. Mm. Like I almost had to put the phone down. Mm. She, she said, what does love mean to you? Mm. And I was just, my perception is so distorted when mm. it comes to love, mm. uh, family, you know, and all this. But but bloody hell, you know, I, I'm, I'm grateful that I'm doing it. Mm. And I'm not just Absolutely, cracking on in my life and you making what, the mate? same mistakes. There's, there's, no, there's, there's no greater... There's no greater output that you can do than invest in yourself. Yeah, amen to that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And that's whether you're doing something in personal development or you're having to like kind of rebuild yourself mentally. And I've been, I've, 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 I've when we've spoke before, mate. I mean, it's not like bringing a book out on performance and mindset and stuff. And but I've had my problems as well. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I, I pushed and pushed and pushed. Uh, I suppose my level of exploitation mentally being in hostile environments. Uh, and the compound effect of that just made me quite unwell when I came back from Afghan. Uh, just through, I think, just mental fatigue and exhaustion and some some underlying OCD that really caused me some problems when it, it turned negative. So it, I don't sit here today being the, the epitome of mental functioning and that I've got it all worked out because I haven't. And yeah. I think the, the, the kind of short answer is, is that... We're all human and we're susceptible to to these things given the lifestyles that we lead and the, the problems that we that we have when we're younger. So it, you know, honestly today has been absolutely uh, it, it's been like it's been mind blowing. Um I almost feel like we're gonna have to do another one and we're you're gonna have to come back and we'll have to do you know, um we're gonna have to delve further into the complexity of what is hardness, what is toughness. Sure, mate. Um, yeah. because you know you know, I think it's prehistoric now. This whole ideology of what's hard, what's tough, and uh, I, mm. I really would like to debate that and, and explore that. Absolutely, mate. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know, it's always a bit of an anticlimax when you finish a podcast. Uh, it's something I'm going to try and work on. But thank you for the for the gifts, and more so, just thank you for being so um, such a great story. You know, a story which is really fucking gritty and really you know hard in a different way and today's been very much kind of 
uplifting and uh, thought-provoking. You know, I felt like I've had a, a really tasty meal and like, I've, well, what's that? You know, well, I that. What, ooh, I'm trying to figure out what that, what that is. So, so thank you, Gaz. Um, Thanks for having me, mate. I really appreciate it. I hope we, I always say I hope we stay in touch. And yeah, I think one hundred percent. I think we 100%. definitely will. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. One hundred percent. Yeah, thank you. Um, just yeah, thank you so much, and I hope everyone that listens can give us some good feedback on today. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean from me, mate. Just, just thanks a lot, mate. Thanks for inviting me on. It's been, it's been a pleasure. Anytime, anytime. Yeah. The Yorkshire Grit Podcast. Subscribe now on iTunes and Spotify.